Back in episode 370, I shared some amazing history that led to the growth of the soybean industry in the early 1900s. But the story didn't end where that episode left off, which would be around the 1950s. The soy industry kept innovating and continues to do so today. We have the miracle bean where we're food and fuel, but at that time we didn't know that. We just knew we crushed it for meal and then we had this leftover oil. That was the birth of the biodiesel industry of saying, let's do something with this byproduct. Megan Kaiser is the chair of the United Soybean Board, also known as the Soy Checkoff. The 32-year-old research and promotion program continues to find ways to expand markets and uses for soybeans and soy products. We've got soy tires, we've got soy oil, soy asphalt, we've got soy components in your vehicle, in sneakers and shoes that you wear, and then of course on your dinner plate, either through an animal protein or, or directly as soy. But at the end of the day, all of these exciting initiatives and products are in service of the people who fund the United Soybean Board, the U.S. soybean farmers. I see farmers as scientists and we're continually trying something and comparing it to the way we might have managed in the past. I think that that's exciting for, you know, the future of agriculture. We're talking soybean innovation with United Soybean Chair Megan Kaiser on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Today's episode and every episode this quarter is brought to you by the Soy Checkoff. It takes more than hard work to move a commodity. It takes a strategic plan with foresight and farmer leaders like you to implement it. And that's your Soy Checkoff. The Soy Checkoff is looking to the future of soy production needs and the needs of your marketplace. It's always looking ahead for on-farm innovations and new market opportunities to benefit you and your fellow soybean farmers. Whether it's finding new markets for oil and meal, both here and abroad, investing in production research to help soybean farmers get more from every acre, working with the supply chain to move soybeans more effectively to impact your bottom line, by pooling resources through the Soy Checkoff, you're moving soy forward, which helps move your farm forward. Having a sound plan delivers results, and you and your fellow soybean farmers are proving it by bringing tangible results back to you through the Soy Checkoff. You can see all the ways your Soy Checkoff is moving soy forward at unitedsoybean.org. Thank you so much to the Soy Checkoff for supporting Innovation in Agriculture and the Future of Agriculture podcast. And joining me for today's episode is, of course, the chair of the United Soybean Board, Megan Kaiser. Megan has a really impressive background growing up in agriculture and pursuing a degree in soil science from the University of Missouri. This set her up well to join her family's soil laboratory business, Perry Agricultural Laboratory, which has been around for 40 years based in northeast Missouri. She's now a soil scientist and the chief operating officer of that business. And at the same time, she farms with her husband, Mark, on the other side of the state in northwest Missouri. We'll certainly talk about both soil and farming in today's episode, but she's really here in her other capacity, which is the chair of the United Soybean Board, where she leads a group of 77 farmers who share one goal to increase return on investment for U.S. soybean farmers. It was really a treat to talk to Megan about the role of the soy checkoff, uh, some of their many approaches to creating value for farmers. We cover things like infrastructure and biofuels and health and nutrition and innovation and technology and more. They really are doing some 
very innovative things to continue to expand the demand and interest in soybeans and soy products. I'll drop you into the conversation here where Megan's sharing a little bit more about her background and what led her to the many hats she wears today. So in 1982, uh, my parents started Perry Agricultural Laboratory where we, we do soil testing, plant tissue testing, and basically the focus is nutrition and agriculture. So it's a natural fit that I then married a farmer and uh, we, we farmed together. And, um, you know, I have our plant tissue test results sitting on my desk right now as we are looking at our in-season management. And so it's, it's all farming all the time uh, with heavy emphasis on science, like many farmers across the country. Yeah. So you are living the dream then. I mean, did you always know you wanted to both be a soil scientist and a farm? Well, I would love to say that I was that forward thinking as a child, but no, um, I was 16 really when I discovered, I guess, that I wanted to be a soil scientist. My parents' laboratory at that time, we did quite a bit of work in England and um, we were at the Royal actually in Scotland that year. The Queen was there, uh, you know, they were, it's this big agricultural show. It's kind of like a state fair only on steroids and people dress up. And they were wearing, you know, the suits and ties at this agricultural show. And somebody had dug a soil pit and my dad had jumped down and was talking with these farmers from, you know, all over the United Kingdom about what emphasis they should put on their soils when they were growing potatoes and sheep and, and cattle in England. And so it made me realize then that agriculture is important the world over. Food is important the world over and nutrition is incredibly important for everyone. That is an amazing story. So were you guys just over there for the fair or like you analyze soil samples from the UK in Missouri or? We do. Yeah. I, I jokingly say it's our global headquarters, but we receive samples from 75 countries in all 50 states here. And then my husband and I kind of, uh, when we joined the business in 2010, wanted to put more of an emphasis on precision agriculture. And so we started a, a precision ag sampling business. And at the same time, we joined, um, we became the fifth generation on Kaiser Family Farms, and we farm every day with Mark's family. And so <laughs> it's a little bit confusing, you know, it's hard to do an introduction in less than five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and with all of that going on, you still, you know, became so active with the soybean board. So how did that happen? Well, um, I was told it was three meetings a year, and we, we joke about that because it becomes much more. But the checkoff, is worth the time invested because, you know, in agriculture, so often things just happen to us. Weather happens to us. We're price takers. Uh, we're dependent on a very public infrastructure system. We're just kind of at the whims of what other people decide until you get to the checkoff where we've pooled our resources and we can have an impact on infrastructure. We can have an impact on drought genetics and, and flood tolerant genetics. We can't have much of an impact on weather yet, but we can buffer ourselves. And so um, I find our role at the checkoff just, while it is time consuming and it does take commitment, I think, you know, there's 77 farmer leaders who take the time to really be involved and make sure we're stewarding the investments of 515,000 U.S. soy farmers. It's actually incredibly inspiring that we we get to have such an impact on our own destiny. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, and we've talked about checkoff programs here on the show before. 
I guess it's been a while. We had we had uh, uh, Darren Williams from Almond Board on maybe two years ago. But, uh, you know, the concept, though, being, you know, every farmer contributes and you pull those resources, as you said, to benefit everybody through these programs. Uh, you now have the, the benefit of experiencing the inner working details of how the checkoff works. But uh, before that, what got you intrigued in, in it in the first place? Or did you already kind of have that sense? Well, to be completely honest, my first job out of college, I worked on Capitol Hill for our Missouri U.S. Senator. And so often you would have farmers come and and want to advocate for something, but there were no numbers to back it up. You know, they had these kind of anecdotal observations, but maybe there wasn't the right amount of research or the right amount of study. And soybeans didn't have as much of an issue with that because they had their checkoff programs. And, you know, for 30 years, farmers have been doing this where we can study things, we can provide information, we can help expand our markets. Who else could do that for Kaiser Family Farms? I can't afford to have an international marketing arm. I can't afford to you know, provide the information that allows the Army Corps of Engineers to dredge the lower Mississippi. Kaiser Family Farms couldn't do that individually, but by providing the information and holistic study and analysis, we're able to say, hey, look, our life cycle analysis, the carbon that it takes to generate our green alternative fuel is very minimal and we can use our own biodiesel and renewable diesel. That kind of work is only done because we are able to invest in the research and, and the study and, and come up with the numbers that then allow other people to make better decisions. Very cool. And you know, when you hear about research and promotion programs, you know, obviously, you know, you think about marketing, but you also think about research. You know, I don't think about infrastructure. I know you mentioned infrastructure there earlier. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. What what role does the soy checkoff play in kind of investing in infrastructure for the industry? So this was a really important question. About seven years ago, we had infrastructure as a part of our strategic plan. And we were kind of told, well, the checkoff can't do anything there. We can't own brick and mortar. We can't, you know, actually physically go out and build things. But what we can do is we can research and we can study. And so it was really exciting. We partnered with the Soy Transportation Coalition, the American Soybean Association, and the U.S. Soybean Export Council. And all of these facets, we all have different roles within the soy industry, but all of us work together to say, what's keeping some of these instrumental infrastructure projects from happening? And what role could we do to break down those barriers? And the answer the first one we tried was um, dredging of the lower Mississippi River. And the reason that that project wasn't proceeding is that there just wasn't funding for planning, engineering, and design. So we said, well, we can actually invest in that. And so we, as the soy checkoff said, we're going to put up $2 million, almost as a pledge, because at that time, we didn't know if anyone could even receive it and do anything. So it was a kind of a pledge. And I'll say, the soy checkoff always reimburses. We budget for something, and then if we can't use it, then it goes back into the checkoff pot for further investment. But we kind of pledged $2 million out of our budget and said, let's see if we can do something and if we can have an impact. It took all those partners working almost two years for the federal government and the state of Louisiana to say, yes, we figured out how we can receive those funds and we can be good partners. So our $2 million investment was met with a $245 million investment from our federal and state partners. That's incredible. I mean, two million is a lot of, that's a lot of dollars. <laughs> Kaiser Family Farms couldn't put that up, but um, we could when we all worked together. And because of that, we're now able to load 
these ocean vessels further up the river, all the way up to Baton Rouge, were able to load them heavier, be more reliable, quicker out the Gulf of Mexico into the global marketplace. And that's the kind of impact our, our checkoff had on, on the investment. So it's taken almost six years for all of this to happen. But recently I got to go to the state of Louisiana and meet the governor and talk about how much this investment in infrastructure means, not only to the local economy of the state of Louisiana, but to every farmer in the United States, or actually several industries shipping out the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. And, and for something like that, I'm sure you interact with plenty of your your colleagues, you know, that are soybean farmers throughout the industry and, and may not make the connection of the direct impact of them on their farm. How do you explain something like that of how the infrastructure affects, you know, a farmer who's paying into the, the checkoff program? Well, what was cool is that with the Soy Transportation Coalition had data to right off the bat say, you know, once we studied it, they even came up with maps of what it meant to actually every state in the United States as far as where you were farming and what impact you had. And on average, it was about 13 cents per bushel difference in our, our basis. And so, you know, last fall we saw when uh, we had really dry conditions on the lower Mississippi, the impact that that had on our basis for us farmers, but also just the speed of transportation, the reliability factor for our consumers globally. We know that shipping on the river has a big impact, but it's not just those of us who ship directly down the Gulf. It also changes, you know, how things are shipped out the Pacific Northwest. And that freight cost is weighed, um, especially once you get into Western Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, a lot of those goods go out the Pacific Northwest. And so we're working in both sea to shining sea, you know, of looking at how can we improve infrastructure? So we also have a project at the Port of Grays outside of Seattle, actually in between Seattle and Portland, out the Pacific Northwest, working there to make sure that that port is able to continue to ship soybean meal very reliably and efficiently. That's really cool. And, and for any of the, the non-farmers that might be listening, we could do a whole episode on basis and, and still only be scratching the surface. But, but I, I think it's just important to, to know that, you know, basis is what's going to move bushels, right? It's, it's going to be the price above or below the board of trade that uh, entices uh, bushels to move. But, but logistics can have a big impact on basis. So if, if you can't actually load the vessels that are showing up at the port, then you're not going to bid very high price and you're not going to attract bushels. And so uh, when Megan says 13 cents a bushel in basis, uh, that's a huge, huge deal for farmers. That's cool. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, it's, it's in-depth and very, <laughs> very complicated. But yeah, it's, it's all these little areas that leverage how much profitability the U.S. soy farmer experiences at the end of the day. Wow. So what, what has been the most surprising part for you since being on the board? You know, what is something that you go being on the other side of things? I never really realized the importance or the significance of this. Well, you know, I think when I think about renewable fuels and I think about biodiesel and renewable diesel and I look at the opportunity it is for farmers, what I didn't think about until I was on the board is the actual impact that it has on the people who use it. So my first or second year on the board, I went to New York City and we had a meeting with, you know, city council member who said, I want to thank you farmers for improving the air quality in New York City. And I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> okay. We'll take we'll take credit. <laughs> <Right>? Sure. <laughs> and I was like, well, how do you figure, you know? But you know, basically what it came down to, he says we have an asthma epidemic. We have a high rate of asthma in children. 
And he said, that's why the city of New York is committed to utilizing biofuels to reduce our particulate emission. And I hadn't thought about particulate emissions before, but, you know, coming from a farm in Missouri where, you know, blue skies and green soybeans is how I picture the environment in which I raise my children. And it is very different in New York City and in Manhattan. And, you know, there are a lot more vehicles and a lot taller buildings than we have. But it it made an impact on me in that uh, what we do on our farm is not just supporting our families. And it's not just about our air quality and soil quality and water quality, but it's actually about, you know, providing better health for people outside our farm gate and that we have a real impact beyond just what we can see, you know, on our farm every day. That's great. And, you know, sticking on that theme of, of biofuels, what is the role of the soy checkoff in promoting biofuels? Um, it seems like a lot of my questions come back to like, what's the role of the soy checkoff? But I think it's important to know, like, where do you play a, a part in helping to facilitate that and, and expand it in the future? Well, our role, first of all, was developing biodiesel. So 30 years ago, you had farmers say, hey, what's this byproduct? What could we do with it? We have the miracle bean where we're food and fuel. But at that time, we didn't know that. We just knew we crushed it for meal and then we had this leftover oil. And so that was the birth of the biodiesel industry of saying, let's do something with this byproduct. Fast forward to today, where we're thinking a lot about green alternatives to fuel feedstocks and we're set up today because of of those investments in the past. And we kind of have our moment to shine, really. We're not only looking at biodiesel, but now renewable diesel, which is a complete drop-in replacement for diesel fuel. We're looking at sustainable aviation fuel as the world looks at what's a more fuel-efficient way that we can continue to travel and meet. But also, we want to lessen our impact on the earth. Again, soybean farmers have this huge role to play. And so the soy checkoff, what our role is, has been a lot of the science and development of actually making these fuels happen. Um, we also look at the infrastructure, you know, like it's better to have a crush facility somewhere where we can get the feed to the animals and the, the oil to those partners who can use it for uh, diesel production. We look at ways to make sure that the world knows that our carbon intensity and, and how sustainably we farm in the U.S lends itself that you can use U.S. soy as a feedstock in your fuel source, and that has an impact on your overall sustainability as well. So we're playing a big role on the science, the innovation, and the information sharing from the checkoff side. And so, you know, as you as you uh, share with other soybean farmers about biofuels specifically, you know, what what messages do you like them to know about where that's heading? Because it does seem like a really exciting part of the industry going forward. Yeah, it's, it's a huge part. Um, and I think the thing that I like to talk about the most is just that you don't have to choose between feed or fuel or food or fuel. Soybeans can do it all. And we're doing it in the same crush that we can continue to provide great meal products for our, our number one customer, which is the animal agriculture industry. Um, we're able to provide human soy products as well. Um, and we're also able to provide oil that can either be consumed through vegetable oil or through uh, making our diesel engines more sustainable. So, you know, with with that, and this gets down to one of the questions I just really wanted to ask you, which is it's got to be a little bit intimidating how successful soy has been already. Like, it's kind of like a where do you go from here type of thing, you know, between 
just the growth of the acreage of soybeans, the inclusion of soybeans in so many different food products, industrial products, animal ag products, uh, biofuels. It's kind of like a, a where where do you go from here and and how do you top that type of question? Is that something you think about or wrestle with? Well, I think about it a lot because all those things that you just named, those weren't accidents. That was from a lot of, of work from farmers looking forward and saying, well, what's next? Bio-based products, I think, could be a huge realm for soy. You know, five years ago, we were sitting around and saying, okay, what should we, what kind of industrial products we used to call them should we be looking at? And on the news at the time was straws, plastic straws are killing turtles and polluting the oceans and such. And we're like, well, could we make a soy straw? And you know what, here we are five years later, we have a high oleic soybean oil, soy straw that is biodegradable after 90 days. So it's that kind of thought process of where are places we could engage that we not only build demand for U.S. soy, but we actually solve problems that the world is experiencing, you know, just short down the road that we might have a solution for. So when we when we talk about our vision and goal for the U.S. soy industry is for U.S. soy to be a sustainable solution for every life every day. And, you know, sometimes that life may or may not know it, that they touch soy, but we've got soy tires, we've got soy oil, soy asphalt, we've got soy components in your vehicle, in sneakers and shoes that you wear. And then, of course, on your dinner plate, either through an animal protein or, or directly as soy. So we hope, you know, that our farming practices that we work very hard on to make sure that our land is there for the next generation, um, that those practices they lend itself to sustainability past our farm gate. You know, that our sustainability practices make everybody who utilizes soy more sustainable in their daily life. Very cool. And I have to admit something you mentioned earlier, hyaluronic soybeans, which I have used the term myself in the past, but I don't think I really understand what exactly that means. What, what, what does that mean, the hyaluronic soybean? Hyaluronic has been an incredibly exciting aspect of, of soybean production. So it goes back to basically nutrition and health content. And so hyaluronic has actually been awarded the heart healthy symbol, and it's a good frying oil. It has a long um, cooking life. So we're seeing more excitement from the food industry about utilizing hyaluronic. But we also are seeing a lot of bio-based products really like the chemistry makeup of that oil in particular. And on top of that, then we even see that dairy cattle, uh, when we leave a little bit of that high oleic soybean oil in with the meal, um, that dairies really uh, benefit from the content in their diet as well. And so um, it's just a little bit different of a chemical makeup. You know, the thing that we're learning about and that we're still working on is we kind of developed the hyaluronic trait as a checkoff. We also then had to develop the markets to buy the hyaluronic. So we had supply and then now we needed demand and then we built the demand and now we have to build more acres to grow hyaluronic soybeans. And so that's a good problem to have though. We, we actually have more demand than we currently are planting for, but the projections are looking good. And, and the more farmers that find out about it, it's really one of those kind of been the, the value chain for farmers proposition where you actually connect companies to direct market with folks growing hyaluronic soybeans. And it's exciting, not only for those farmers who are growing hyaluronic soybean then, but then that means they're not growing commodity soybeans. So that improves the value of commodity soybeans for everyone else. Great. I like that expression, bend the value chain. I haven't heard that, but that makes a lot of sense how you can kind of apply that pressure to keep pushing the industry forward. 
Yeah. I, you know, I think um, anytime that we can directly connect with those who want us to grow a particular way or a particular thing, it, it's beneficial to farmers and the people who are, are asking for it. Jim Sutter is the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, and I've heard him say it many times that U.S. soy is the provider of choice. If you want us to grow high oleic, we can do that. If you want us to grow commodity soybeans in the most sustainable, reliable, and efficient way, we can do that. You just tell us what you want, and we'll work really hard to uh, provide it. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that, especially with you, you know, being from a soil science background, you know, a lot of the talk about the ways we want farmers to grow things right now has to do with soil health and, and with regenerative agriculture. I would think for a number of reasons, soy is is relatively well positioned to tell that story. You know, what what is the tone? What is the conversation surrounding soil health among soybean growers? I think soil health is something that when you talk with farmers, we always talk in generations. You know, we're the fifth generation on our farm. Sometimes it's first generation and there's a lot of pride to be had in that too. But we think generationally and that we know that we don't get a, an immediate return on how we care for our soils, but we know that we can have an immediate negative impact too. So farmers have always been focused on it. And the way that I look at it as a soil scientist is there's three prongs to soil health. We have the physical, um, which is, you know, our pore space. It holds on to the biological activity, but it also holds on to our air and water. In the human body, we would think about it and, you know, your your size and your weight. That's your your physical aspects. But then uh, we think about the biological activity, which in the human might be, you know, that gut health that we talk about. Um, and we know when we have better gut health, we have healthier feeling and more productive humans. Same thing when we talk about the biology in the soil. And then we talk about nutrition from the chemistry aspect in the soil. That's the nutrition of, you know, just like we need to have iron in our diets and zinc to help us, you know, have strong immune systems. Those same micronutrients are important to be in the soil so that they help the immunity and the resilience of the crop that we produce and ultimately end up in the grain that we then either consume as a, a human or animal. And so I think that we've thought about these things for a long time. I mean, there's literature on it for over a hundred years, but it's exciting to see that there's a demand for it in a way that we haven't seen before. We also talk a lot about carbon sequestration and what that could mean for farm economies. But I think in general, most farmers are most focused on on soils and healthy soils so that they can be productive soils and in turn regenerate and continue to be productive soils. Uh, and you said when we started talking that you you know you were looking at samples of, of your own farm and making some decisions there. So when as you started, you know, farming with your husband with your background, did some things need to change in how they approached uh, how you approach soil health there? Well, I tell you what, we we started focusing a lot more on micronutrients when um, we we became more involved in the the farm. You know, with precision agriculture um, over the last 20, 30 years, we figured out how to be variable rate applicators of phosphorus and potassium. And then um, as time went on, we were able to put on some of those where you don't need as much micronutrient material to be spread at a given time. We might only be putting on one pound versus, you know, 100 pounds of material. And so as we worked through the logistics of actually how to get those things applied, you know, we've seen an improvement in our, our yield and our response. And so um, it's fun when you're in a farmer meeting and all of a sudden people are talking about boron and copper and zinc and how are you putting that on and, and what is the uptake and what are you noticing in your plant tissues? How long does it take to have a response? 
I mean, these are incredibly technical conversations that I think you would hear farmers all over the country having. And it's really exciting that, you know, I, I see farmers as scientists and we're continually trying something and comparing it to the way we might have managed in the past. And um, I think that that's exciting for, you know, the future of agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the, one of the few podcasts, I think, where you can tune in and hear Boron is fun. <laughs> Well, it is. It's exciting. <laughs> uh, all right. So we covered a couple of those strategic priorities, but the other one you mentioned was um, innovation technology, I think. You just were talking about precision agriculture. Is that what you mean in in a soy checkoff context when it comes to innovation technology, or what exactly does that refer to? Even newer. Think even newer. You know, we're looking at in terms of what if we utilize soy in pharmaceuticals? What if we utilize soy and a new bio-based product. We had a, an innovation challenge where one of the finalists was talking about, hey, we can utilize soy in pharmaceuticals. Uh, another one was, we can utilize soy as a non-toxic kitty litter. Two way different things, but uh, ways of utilizing soy, uh, again, in every life, every day. And uh, so innovation and technology is, the world is your you know your oyster. What Whatever your imagination can come up with, that would help build more demand for U.S. soy. So things like shingles on a roof, asphalt has come out of that category, and all the way to, you know, what other genetics should we be looking at or on-farm practices, whether it be drone or drone applications of things. Maybe it's uh, weed control in a new way. So it's kind of Whatever we don't know that we could possibly study and find out more that might might benefit the farmer on on the farm or, um, you know, the end user in the marketplace. Yeah. And I mean, some of that stuff sounds lofty and far fetched. But the truth is, I mean, it's happening like that's what's so amazing about soy is it is it really has found so many effective uses it's not far-fetched to talk about it being in pharmaceuticals and, and kitty litter, you know, in the same sentence. It's wild. And I, and I wonder, you know, as you reflect on, on that, what is it about the soybean that is so dang useful? <laughs> Everything. That's the point. You know, it's, there's two components. I mean, we're even doing stuff with holes, you know. <laughs> um, everything about the soybean plant is pretty incredible in that, you know, it's a legume. It's a nitrogen-fixing plant. And then the oil can be utilized in so many ways the meal can be utilized in so many ways you know even john deere is using you know soybean oil and meal they're trying out using meal and some of the fenders that they produce it's just whatever your imagination can come up with if we look and see if we can use soybeans instead you know even henry ford a hundred years ago you were talking about world war ii earlier but World War II actually interrupted some of the innovation he had been working on, but he had made himself a soybean suit back in the early 1900s. And he had made a soybean car at that time. And, you know, to this day, Ford is still utilizing soybean components um, in its vehicles. And I think it's that kind of innovation and technology of, I have this, what can I do with it? And the most exciting part of that is in the world where we're constantly all kind of reminded to recycle, reuse, and rethink a crop that grows out of the ground and is renewable in that way every year and biodegradable in most cases. That's pretty, pretty exciting. So we're reducing emissions, we're renewable, we're reusable and biodegradable. Those are all kind of the big check marks to, you know, future sustainability. So 
I'm not worried we'll run out of things to utilize soybeans for. Right. Well, you know, with all that in mind, so many different directions you could go. How do you all assess where to invest? You know, where is going to have the biggest impact for the soybean farmers that are funding it? Well, that's always the toughest question. You know, um, well, there's 77 farmer leaders and every single one of us has a role to play in helping decide where our investments end up. You know, I think when we consider things, it's one, is this an area that anybody else is looking at? It could be a high risk thing too. Some of our investments don't really pan out. It's like, oh, well, you know, when we first tried the straws, they like would fall apart in your drinks. Okay, so that's too biodegradable. <laughs> we gotta get to, you know, past the usage time. So 90 days is good. <laughs> so we didn't wanna do that again. Um, but, you know, looking at what is it that we could do nobody else is looking at? What kind of barrier could we break down to kind of help other people? We wanna serve as a catalyst. But we also, the number one thing we have to look at is, is this a good use of farmer money in the terms that then it will be a return to the soybean industry in the United States? One of my good friends, he used to say, if we're taking you know, dollars out of farmers' pockets, we gotta be putting 10s and 20s back in. So every time we make an investment decision, overall, we're looking for a positive return on investment. Right now, um, the checkoff is measured at $12.34 for every dollar invested into the checkoff within the work that we do returns $12.34 to the soybean industry. And that's, that's pretty great. You know, if, uh, if you gave me $1 and I gave you $12.34 back, you'd probably keep doing it, right? Yeah, we can keep doing business <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I, I, my enthusiasm for for what you're doing and for soybeans is real. I, I think it's one of the the greatest success stories of of U.S. agriculture, if not agriculture history. Period. It's it's pretty incredible, and uh, I appreciate you being on here. Anything though that I didn't get us to that you either would like to emphasize or reiterate or add to the conversation before I let you go? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've been saying my entire chair year is that. I hope if you're a, a soybean farmer right now listening, that you're proud of the work that you have a role in, that it takes every single one of us to have this kind of impact. And that, um, you know, your 77 um, representatives on the United Soybean Board are working very hard to be very diligent about our investments to make sure that it's well spent. And then if you're not a soybean farmer, I hope you still feel proud of U.S. soy farmers and our commitment not only to our local economies, but our environment and our future, and um, that you can feel good about buying U.S. soy products. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you very much to Megan Kaiser for being on the show. Uh, these checkoff programs, these research and promotion programs really play a very vital role in agriculture in the U.S. and really where agriculture is headed. So I hope you listened intently into that and to their strategic approach because they sure are on the forefront of what's happening. And, uh, you know, I can't believe I think Megan's only the second one I mentioned in that episode. We had Darren from the Almond Board on a little while ago. I probably need to do more of these to understand how they're thinking about the future of not only demand, but also production systems and the research and all of the many things that she mentioned there. So really enjoyed that. I hope you did, too. Thank you again to Megan for being on the show. Thanks as well to The Soy Checkoff for making this episode possible in every episode this quarter. Like I said at the top of the show, go learn more about them at unitedsoybean.org. And last but certainly not least, thank you for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.